You're listening to Perfectly Scarred. This is the place where we are sharing our scars through various stories and testimonies. The mission of Perfectly Scarred is to encourage you to know that your scars matter and it is important to share with others so that they too can walk in freedom. So let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of Perfectly Scarred Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Nelson, and today I am uh I have a very special guest. All my guests are special, of course, but uh sister Smeraldo Del Delgadillo. Delgadillo. I told her I said the name, I'm gonna need help. I'm gonna need help. But um, yes, yeah, she she has so kindly join me in this topic of uh, betrayal and I'm just excited to get started Um, but I want her to introduce herself um, and her background and just where she's from and everything like that Um, so sister sure sure Um, well I'm my name is Esmeralda Delgadillo as you've heard Uh, I'm a licensed professional counselor I'm also an ordained minister for the United Pentecostal Church I'm the First Lady at Family Fire United Pentecostal Church here in Kingwood, Texas. I've been married for 26 years. I have two wonderful children, uh, Josiah, who's 24, and who's currently actually uh, pursuing his master's degree in professional counseling and should be wrapping that up soon. I have a 16-year-old, Hannah. Um, She's graduated high school and is now in her finishing up her first year, entering her second year in um, her bachelor's of psychology um, with a um, specialty in um, criminal psychology. That, that's what she wants to pursue. So I'm really proud of my, my children. They, I think we're all that family that, you know, cares very much about people mm-hmm. um, and mental health. So, and I have a wonderful husband who, who supports me. I'm currently wrapping up my doctoral program with a specialty in addiction and compulsive behavior. And um, I do have a practice in Kingwood, Texas. Um, I love it. God has been so good to me. And uh, I have the privilege of of working with some uh, pretty, pretty special people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just love it. I love, I love doing what I do. I love helping people. Yeah. That's just a little bit about me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. She has many titles. That's why I wanted her to introduce herself because I didn't want to miss anything. And yeah, I do. One more thing. How can I forget? I'm also the director of education and community outreach for the Center for Apostolic Counseling. I cannot forget about the Center for Apostolic Counseling, a wonderful network of licensed uh, professional clinicians that Mm. are Holy Ghost filled. Yes. Um, and love God and love people. So yes. Yeah, yes. I am an advocate for therapy. I think we need Jesus and therapy. Yes. And so that's why I love having uh, counselors on and just the networking because so many people need therapy and Jesus. Yes, <laughs> so absolutely. We need, we need both and and so I like having these conversations with those who have been clinically, you know, have the education background and just have the experience. And it is and I've been on that website. So it is a wonderful group of, I mean, just diversity across the board. And oh, so they're amazing. Just yes. a wealth, wealth of knowledge um, and anointing and wisdom. Yes. Great. Yes. Our clinicians. 
Yes. So definitely we'll continue to put that in the link of this uh, uh, podcast episode. So um, today, uh, as I stated earlier, we're talking about betrayal and um, why is this why is this important to address? Why is this in something that we need to discuss? And, and because I felt like a lot of people are going through phases of recovery of betrayal, but really don't know what that looks like. And so I just wanted to have this conversation um, to really break down betrayal. And so Sister Elsmer- Esmeralda, Esmeralda, I'm a, I'm a D. <laughs> Some people just say, you know what, I'm just going to call you Sister D. It's just, you okay, know. I got Sister D. So Sister D, why is this topic of betrayal and recovering from betrayal so important, especially for the body? Well, um, one of my areas of specialty is um, sexual addiction and, and betrayal trauma recovery. Um, and when I started off, that specialty was very near and dear to my heart because I think that's something that um, at one time the, the church was not um, really addressing. And since then, that has changed. There's you know, um, different ministries such as uh, apostolic moral purity, right, uh, that are doing a phenomenal job of bringing some of these topics and some of these issues that have been very taboo in the church. Um, no longer are we sitting on those things. So, right. you know, in in my experience, when um, you have a spouse that's dealing with sexual addiction, uh, especially in the marriage relationship, in the marital relationship, you know, it's expected, well, there's been this rupture in the marriage and now you should forgive and move on. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work that way. The person, the, the spouse um, who has been betrayed um, goes through something that we call betrayal trauma. Being mm-hmm. betrayed does cause a semblance of trauma. And a lot of times that trauma the feelings and emotions that come with the trauma are, are they aren't new a mm-hmm. lot of times. And I'm not saying this across the board, but so many times if there's been childhood wounds, attachment yeah. wounds or childhood trauma, what happens is this current situation or experience, you know, in the marital relationship will trigger an yeah. onset of emotions that were experienced in childhood. Um, you know, especially those that are tied with attachment wounds. So Mm -hmm. it is important to understand what's happening. You know, why is my spouse giving me a hard time? You know, why is it that uh, they've changed? Why is the, why is it that, you know, this person no longer trusts? And of course, this isn't just directed towards marriage. It can happen with parents. It can happen with church leadership, mm-hmm. um, right? And, and that's one thing that we, we don't always look at that when betrayal happens, it can open the floodgate yeah. of emotions that go so far back. Yeah. So it's important to recognize that. And so, you know, I think the expectation sometimes is you need to forgive, do it quickly, and let's just move forward. It doesn't work that way. Um, There are, you know, neurobiological results there, you know, our our brain is changed when we experience betrayal. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of nuances that we have to consider, you know, in regard to betrayal. Yeah. So what what are the, I guess, what would you're, you have the specialty as far as sexual addiction, addiction, but what other betrayals are there? 
um, that we can experience? Well, I think that, you know, we can, again, we can experience betrayal in regard to leadership. You know, sometimes if, if you have a leader in your life or someone that you really trust and look up to, mm -hmm. uh, they've done something that is, you know, that, that feels like betrayal to you. Again, I think that it can stir up and bring to the surface um, experiences. It could be the, ex the, the parental experience, you know, maybe wounds that were caused in childhood um, or adolescence. And so the feeling and the emotion is familiar. And so mm -hmm. if there are ruptures or have been ruptures in, in early relationships, you know, it can, it can, it can trigger a person. It sends them into yeah. a certain state of mind. And so what happens is if someone uh, betrays you, then you begin to tell yourself a certain narrative, mm -hmm. you know, if someone betrays you, then you start thinking, you know, what's wrong with me? Um, the whole world is against me, you know, yeah. depending on, on, of course, those core beliefs that have been established early in life, mm -hmm. but we can experience betrayals at work. We can experience betrayals in friendships, you know, marital relationships, again, leadership uh, with siblings, parents. Yeah. I think there's always, you know, that possibility and it's nothing new. You know, I always tell people, you know, when, when we go through betrayal, we think to ourselves, this is only happening to me. What's wrong with me? Um, you know, again, the whole world is against me, um, but we weren't the first ones to experience it. In fact, we know that, you know, the savior of the world, Jesus himself exper experienced betrayal. If there's anyone mm -hmm. who is familiar with betrayal, it's Jesus. He understood yeah. what it was for someone very close to him to betray him, someone that had walked with him, you know, ate with him, you know, followed him. Yeah. And yet yeah. he still found himself right in the throes of, of betrayal. And we even have, we do have a model of how to deal with betrayal. Um, but there's also a process in that. Yeah. You know, there are moments of darkness that he had to sit through. And there's going to be moments that we have to sit in that darkness. And, and our, our first inclination, the first thing we want to do is to pull away from that. We don't yeah. like, we don't like having to go through that process, but mm -hmm. we find ourselves there. And so it takes time to, you know, to kind of navigate and sort through what has happened when there's been a betrayal. Yeah. And, you know, even, even in my own experience, like I, and I didn't realize it until like this year. And this is why I even had, you know, wanted this conversation because I had suppressed, I had a like friendships that I, I was betrayed. And, and now I know I, I did some too, it's on my end, but also I didn't realize like, because of that, I suppressed it. I never really dealt with the broken friend. Like I never dealt with the betrayal. I just was like, I just moved on from it. I didn't address it. And so uh, earlier this year, it felt like God was just bringing all of that stuff up. And it was just like, this is what you're, and I didn't want to admit, like, I, this hurt me. You know, I was like, this, this really did hurt me and have to, uh, I have to really admit that I was hurting from this, which was years ago, but because I never dealt with it, it's all coming back. And I could not trust the people that were in my lives that God was trying to bring in my life right. because of the fact that all I knew was 
if I give like this friendship hurt me so many years ago. Right. Um, and it, it just, it really hindered me from moving forward. And so God just brought that to the surface. He said, until you deal with this, you're not moving forward. You right. Know? Because we don't, we don't like pain. And yeah. when pain, when pain hits our life, and of course the, the pain of betrayal is a very strong one. And when it hits our life, uh, we're going to respond, whether it's through the fight, flight, freeze, fawn, we have all these, you know, sometimes what would I call trauma responses mm-hmm. or, um, you know, we put up walls uh, that are to keep us safe. Uh, we keep yeah. people at arm's length. You know, we we set the trajectory with how we're going to respond uh, to future ruptures, yeah. uh, you know, whether or not we're going to address it. So sometimes, you know, we we put up the walls and we decide in our in our minds, no one will ever hurt me again. And so we, you know, we stop trusting, we stop reaching out. Um, sometimes people want to escape, you know, addictions are formed sometimes, you know, when, when there's betrayal, not always, but again, depends on how you handle and navigate your emotions that are coming up as a result of, of this, you know, this trauma of betrayal or this experience of betrayal. Some people are very good at suppressing and pushing down, you know, Mm -hmm. um, no, that didn't hurt, you know, it doesn't matter. I really don't care. I hear that a lot from young people. I really don't care what people think. Yeah. I really don't care what, what has happened. Uh, but the reality is that we, we are emotional beings and yeah. it's okay. It's okay to feel the emotions that you feel. And I think we have to make space for those emotions Yeah. where things, you know, uh, become a challenge is how we respond to those emotions. Right. You know, we have something called, uh, we use an illustration of something called the window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is that ability to acknowledge that the emotions are there. They are there. And I, and maybe I am justified in feeling the pain and the hurt, you know, um, the danger and some of the things that have happened, but I will not lose reason or logic. I will not lose those things because I have to remember um, and, and sometimes we have to remind ourselves, you know, I do have a support system. I am loved because when you've been betrayed again, shame can settle in um, isolation. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you feel like the whole world is against you. Is that the truth? You know, yeah. most of the time it is not right. <laughs> you still right. have people that love you, that believe in you, that see you, that are supportive, but we have to remind ourselves of those things. Can you kind of touch on the trauma responses? Sure. Um, the, the, you know, we all have a fight or flight. So the amygdala, the, the fire alarm of the brain, uh, when there has been trauma, uh, specifically with betrayal trauma, you know, we, your prefrontal cortex is affected. That's like the, you know, one doctor put it, it's like the filing cabinet of the brain. It's where mm-hmm. all of the memories, uh, are stored, you know, your absolute, yeah. what you know to be true. And so when betrayal happens by someone that you might trust or love, it's like somebody going into the filing cabinet and just, you know, I think is, is the way he put it, uh, Dr. Porter is someone taking out the files and just throwing them everywhere, throws everything offline because now you're trying to sort with, you know, what is truth and what is not. This is what I believe to be true, that this person loved me, that this person, you know, was going to be loyal. Um, you know, even in relationship when a best friend betrays your trust and, you know, maybe tell someone else, you know, some things that you've shared with them, you know, all yeah. of a sudden that feeling of who is this person? 
I trusted them, you know, so you're trying to, you know, bring all of those things, you know, into perspective, your, your left brain is trying Mm -hmm. to give you a reason, trying to logically figure out what's just happened because this isn't the narrative that I've always known. So of course, and then the amygdala is, is triggered and that's, what's telling you, oh, you're in danger. You're in danger. You've got to respond some way or another. So the, the fight response of course is, is I'm going to step up. I've got to control this situation right now. Yeah. You know, I, I've got to make sure that I am I, I still feel like I'm in control. So, you know, those people tend to come off as very demanding, very controlling, you know, very aggressive. Yes. That is yes. that is the fight, you know, trauma response. And then of course you have the flea. Um, and that's a person who doesn't want to confront those emotions, doesn't want to really sit down and say, this is what's going on. I've got to process this. I need to give myself some time to really think about what's going on. You know, just because this person hurt me in this way, it doesn't mean that I have to absorb some of the things that they're saying or that there's necessarily something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is the person that will try to do anything they can to numb or step away from the danger and the pain yeah. that they feel, um, maybe the insecurity. I don't want to feel this. I'll do anything to not feel this. Yeah. So what do they do? They tend to escape, um, to medicate that pain or that danger. And yeah. of course can go into, uh, drug addiction, you know, sex addiction, uh, gaming, social media, eating, any of those things, anything yes. that will take the place of, of me sitting here and processing and dealing with the emotions that I'm feeling. Um, so then you've got, you also have the freeze response and the freeze response is a person who literally cannot move. They are frozen, um, you know, in that state emotionally, they're very unsure. Um, they, you know, you will see that person basically collapse emotionally. It's almost like what I would say is numbing. I don't want to feel anything. And if I can just check out you know, and not have to deal with this, repress it, then that's what I'll do. And I will get up and I, and I'll move on. And I think that's a place that many people find themselves in. Um, And even in the church, even as Christians, I think, again, instead of processing and really allowing God to step in, in a moment of pain, right. And, and those moments of sorrow, deep sorrow, Mm -hmm and deep pain, I think we're so quick. And this is not a popular message. I get it because I've, I've heard it preached and I've heard it taught, you know, we've just got to pull ourselves up and keep moving. I don't think that's always a good idea. I think it was, you know, God says, be still and know that I am God. So the being still, I think sometimes we have a very difficult time with. And so I am a firm believer that in our sorrow, in our times of darkness and pain and betrayal. I think that that is a place where God wants to be able to meet us and, and and he wants to know us and we are to know him in a very special way. It's where we experience his grace and his mercy and intimacy in that, in those moments of pain. So I think, you know, sometimes freezing uh, emotionally, you know, we know that that's happening internally, but externally, I think that sometimes we just kind of push through things and we distract ourselves and busy ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that would be the freeze. And then there's fawn and fawn. I think that's where we would do anything um, to make sure that people view us in a positive way. I'll do anything to, you know, to gain uh, approval. Yeah. Right? Anything I can to appease. So I think, I think in, in essence, we probably all experienced some of those responses at one time or another in our life. Yeah. I'm definitely the flight. <laughs> I know. I'll yeah. be leaving. And even, you know, relationships, I would go from one relationship to the next one to the next one. I never really dealt with the issue, but just, oh, you going to do that? Well, I'm leaving mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not really addressing anything. And so I, I, yeah, I definitely will try to move out that way and, and deal with it that way. But I recognize, like, like I said, God was like, no, until you sit, sit with it. I need you to sit with it. So, and in the, as far as in the, in the, a lot of people, I don't know, and I'm sure you have, but how does, how do we respond when we feel betrayed by God? That's a very good question. I think a lot of times the reason why we feel that God has betrayed us is because we often use the same filter to look at God the way that we have viewed some of our very first loving relationships, Mm -hmm. specifically our parents. Our parents are the very first love relationship that we ever experience. Even before we, in our little minds, young minds, know God, Mm -hmm. up to a certain degree, we serve the God that our parents have shown to us, you know, through their love, through the, their teachings, um, through the way that they make us feel secure. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so many times if we don't experience, you know, those things, and again, this isn't an indictment of parents, but parents have their own wounds and yeah. their own trauma. And so, you know, they learn how to receive and give love from their parents. And so, so many times, um, when, you know, we look to our parents and their for their approval and the, their discipline, the way that they've loved us. That's the same filter that we view God with. Yeah. You know, we had a parent who maybe was um, very affectionate, very loving, very supportive. Um, then that person probably views, views God as someone who is loving and supportive. I'm not saying that's always the case, because I think it takes, you know, really knowing God on an intimate level. But yeah. if there's trauma or if there's wounds, it's difficult to be able to look at God and say, I know that you're not being punitive with me, God. I know that you love me. I know you desire to be close to me. That takes a relationship with him to know those parts of him. Yeah. Okay. So I think that when we feel betrayed by God, then we, you know, the possibility of us looking at him through a lens of, you know, our human experiences with people is very high. Yeah. Is very high. So when, when we have that perspective, we really need to look to his word. I think that's one area that we, we need to try to know God in, and that's his love for us. I think it's so cliche, you know, uh, God is love. God is love. Well, what is love? What does love look like to you? And I I discussed that quite a bit with, with couples that I sit with, what does love mean to you? Because if we try to put a description on love, it varies. Yeah. It looks different for so many people. Yeah. 
the more that we know Jesus, the more we understand and comprehend the definition of love. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Outside of that, if a person, you know, says, well, yeah, you know, I, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Well, yeah, but do you know him? Do yeah. you really understand the way that he loves and cares for you? Right. Right. Do you really understand the transformation that, that he is trying to bring about in your life, becoming more like him. You know, I always quote that scripture that says that we want to know him in the power of his resurrection, but we don't like the second part, the fellowship of his suffering. No one likes that part. You know, does it mean that you're, when you're suffering and you're going through sorrow, and even when you've experienced betrayal, that God hates you, that he's trying to destroy you, that he's trying to ruin your life, that he's forgotten about you? Absolutely not. When we experience betrayal, when we experience grief, when we experience sorrow, we are never more like Jesus. Right. Oh, that's so good. We are never more like Jesus. He experienced all of those things. Yes. So we can go to him and he can bring us relief and he can bring us peace and he can bring us joy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I love that you said that because, you know, we can get so caught up in what's going on around us and we miss that opportunity to actually experience the fact that and accept the fact that this in the suffering I am being per- perfected you know and it's just like how we you know when you think of a diamond it's like you got to go through the fire right you know and that purification um it hurts and and I look, I'm mad, but, <laughs> but to, to know that this is, this is for my good because I'm going to be more like my father. Absolutely. You know? And I don't, and I don't mean that in regard to people that are in situations where they're being abused, right. or harmed or hurt, you know, not, not at all. I do not believe that God um, puts us through any of those situations, there is still a very human component, you know, and uh, there are people out there that have their own wounding and their own trauma and do inflict, you know, uh, because of their own, right, their own inner suffering, and God will have to deal with those people, right, Um, as and, and that journey with them. But what I'm speaking to in this regard is the aftermath. Sometimes when somebody is coming out, you know, of a relationship or a friendship where they're, they've really been harmed and wounded, you know. Um, and so I think sometimes also there's that idea of, well, just pray and it will get better, you know, just give it to God. Um, but I often tell people as a therapist, I often tell people, Jesus who was God manifested in the flesh, did not live his life and walk, you know, some of those very crucial years of his life alone. He did not do that. He surrounded himself, you know, with 12 men that he trusted to see him in his vulnerability. He was without sin, but he was a hundred percent man. So they Mm -hmm. saw his weariness. They saw when he was emotional. They saw when he was sad. They saw when he was tired. You know, they saw when he was moved with compassion and stirred in his spirit, Yeah. you know, and even in uh, in his darkest times in the garden, you see that 
even then, as he's going through this very difficult situation, knowing that he's going to his death, um, he wanted them around. And so we need those moments where even in our betrayal, you know, in, in those very dark moments, yeah. it's okay to have people around. It's okay to lean on one another. That's what the body is for. Yeah. That's yeah. what the body is for. Yes. That's so good. So for those who have been betrayed, what, and, and I mean, we could talk about marriage we could just talk about just the process. What does that, as far as when they come to you, what does that process look like when they're recovering from a betrayal, either in the marriage or just someone just dealing with that? Well, I think someone just dealing with that, the first thing is to be able to acknowledge the pain. Mm-hmm. What has happened? You know, how do I feel? What's coming up for me? And I often tell people to, you know, focus on what what are you, what is the narrative that you're telling yourself about yourself in this moment? Mm-hmm. Because I think that when we can identify the narrative, what it is that we're telling ourselves about ourselves, then we have a better um, opportunity to view what's happened. You know, if this person that has betrayed me, you know, do I keep on indicting myself? Am I punishing myself? Am I shaming myself? Or do I understand that, you know, I'm not necessarily at fault here and maybe they're not necessarily at fault, but my perception is what's causing me, you know, to slip, slip deeper into this pain. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Because I think sometimes offense um, can, you know, comes up and lingers because of the narrative we're telling ourselves. And I think that when we can bring those emotions and those thoughts to the surface, then we can answer some questions. Why, why is it that it's hitting me this way? You know, why is it that I'm feeling the emotion of anger here? You know, is it, is it that maybe the things that this person has done is reinforcing? Yeah some core beliefs or some beliefs about myself that, that have been distorted for many years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I often go down that road, that journey with clients to help them to identify Um, in the marital relationship when there's been betrayal. um, You know, I often say a person needs to be able to speak their truth needs to be able to speak what's happening again, so that their voice is heard. This is the way I feel this is the way you're be the way that I was betrayed is impacting me. Yeah. You know, and, and in all of those situations uh, after betrayal, there are boundaries that can be set. You know, I often talk about what was lost in the betrayal, you know, what, what parts of you are grieving as this betrayal has happened. So those are some of the little, the little things that we cover some of the nuances um, in the recovery process after betrayal. Right. So at, at what point does one, um, like we set the boundaries, but you continue to do the same thing. So I guess reconciliation is not an option anymore. Um, I think that any time that you're in a situation or in a relationship that causes you to go against your own value system is a huge red flag. Yeah. It's a huge, huge red flag. There's some people in the marital relationship when there's been betrayal that that individual has a choice, right? 
to say, I, out of love, I want to continue to be in this relationship, but these are the boundaries. This is what's necessary to work on the marriage. And when a person consistently, you know, crosses those boundaries um, or the value system of that spouse, then, you know, that's a huge indicator on whether or not that person actually wants to work on this relationship. And I would say the same thing in any relationship, if it's a friendship, you know, uh, with anybody in your life that consistently pushes the boundaries and doesn't, you know, maybe you, you don't align with what their value system is. And you're constantly going against that. I don't think that that is healthy for the individual because Mm -hmm. it will lead to a lot of resentment, uh, maybe a lot of anger. Sometimes, you know, um, it, it affects you emotionally and mentally and spiritually. Yeah. You're constantly having to move the boundary, move the boundary, move the boundary. Yeah. And that's not, not a very healthy situation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cause I, I see it a lot and, you know, and you just wonder like, and some people will say, well, uh, well, divorce is not an option, mm-hmm. you know, but it still continue to, it's a, it, at, at some point it's emotionally abusing. Yeah. You know, well, neglect probably is one of the most insidious forms of abuse neglect, because what you're saying is, um, yes, I see your boundaries. Yes. I know that this is what you need from me, but I refuse to give it. So divorce is not an option. Uh, but people are making decisions when they choose not to show up and not to do the work in marriage. And so sometimes that leaves people with, with no um, choice, you know, um, if they're going outside of the marriage, if they're doing things that are, you know, harming, intentionally harming their spouse, someone that they're supposed to love, then they're making the decision for you. They are the ones that are choosing, you know, to not show up and be invested in that relationship. And even, you know, outside of the marital relationship, just in a friendship, um, you know, when someone decides that they're going to push boundaries or completely neglect or override boundaries, you know, we, we have to, the Bible says that we have to love others the way that we love ourselves. So I think really understanding, going back to understanding the love of God, you know, and how God loves us as a mother, I want to protect my child. I love her. I would do anything for her to make sure that she's protected. I'm a mama bear. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like, you know, um, even my my husband, I've been married for 26 years, going on 27. I know that he views me more than his wife. He views me as a daughter of the most high God. And so he respects me that way. And mm-hmm. so he's going to love me understanding who my father is. So I think that when, you know, when people tend to cross those boundaries and disregard them, they are making a decision. Yeah. They're making a decision. And that really does, you know, have a ripple effect. These are the consequences. If you don't, if you, if you can't um, make a decision to be loyal or faithful, you know, to the marriage or to this relationship, then you are taking my opportunity to be able to, you know, uh, be loving and, you know, warm and open and vulnerable with you. You're taking that away from me, you see? So uh, I think in essence that, um, 
people have to, to understand that it is a mutual re reciprocity. When a person takes responsibility for what they've done, when a person takes responsibility and is able to say, yes, I hurt you, I betrayed you, whether it be in marriage or in a relationship, when a person takes responsibility, then it frees the other person up to reciprocate love and empathy and compassion. Yeah. Yeah. That is nice. I like yeah. that. I like that answer. That's better than mine. <laughs> well, betrayal is not an easy thing. I do believe that God can help us to forgive. We need the Lord to help us to forgive. Yeah. And there are many who have been through betrayal um, and, you know, uh, ha have had that, that in their heart to be able to forgive because they understand compassion. They understand empathy and, and they're able to make space for that person. Uh, but sometimes it's a lot, it's overwhelming. Yeah. And um, that decision to, to forgive might be there, but to have to continue in that relationship is not. Yeah. I think, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think sometimes in the, in, as far as in the church atmosphere, we don't tend to our men being betrayed more, uh, at the, in the equal sense to the women. Right. It's, it's not very often that you do hear about that, but it does happen. And so um, I think that when men are betrayed, um, you're right. It's not something that's addressed all of the time, uh, but I think it does have the very same effects. It's still traumatic. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's still traumatic because some people are completely sideswiped. You know, I, what, I did not see that coming. How did that happen? You know, I thought everything was okay. Um, but I think that goes back to the way that we communicate with each other, mm -hmm. that ability to be able to be transparent and vulnerable with one another. You know, people, um, there's a sense of being connected and being completely disconnected. I think when it comes to men, society expects for them to not, you know, share mm -hmm. or discuss emotions. Yeah. And so therefore, sometimes as women you know, we don't realize that men do have emotions. <laughs> they yeah. do have emotions. And it's important uh, for us to help facilitate an atmosphere of communication and transparency. You know, men, um, I think, again, because of society, sometimes culture, right? Um, they're, they're taught to repress mm -hmm. or to hide their emotions. You know, it's like boys don't cry. Yes, they do. <laughs> Men cry. Yeah. Jesus wept, <laughs> you know, but we have to be okay with that. And, and I think that things are getting better. I think that there are some awesome men of God out there in ministries, you know, that are uh, becoming more um, vocal about the fact that it's okay for men to express their emotions. You know, we cannot mitigate, we cannot demand from one another, we cannot. Uh, manage other people's emotions, but we can definitely create a safe space for men to yes. do that, men and women. Yes, yes. Well, yes, yes, yes. And so as a, um, as a woman, like what are some, I mean, this may be off the subject, but like what, how to facilitate that? What are some things that we should be looking for doing, 
you know. Well, I can first off the bat is, you know, when, because I think that women are really funny. We want for men to be open and honest with us, but mm-hmm. I think that our reaction to the content and what they want to say, I think we, we have to be very aware of that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we want them to share, but when they do, how do you respond? How do you react? You know, are you actively listening? You know, are you hearing them or are you already, you know, uh, mulling over in your mind, you know, how you're going to, what you're going to say, as yeah. opposed to really hearing them. So I think, you know, for whether it's a man or a woman, I think what we have to do is facilitate a safe, a safe space, a safe place for them to do that without us uh, reacting in a way that's going to allow that or, you know, c- contribute to that person shutting down. Yeah. We don't want them to shut down. We want for for our partners, uh, our friends, our spouses, you know, our siblings, our family to feel as if though they can tell us whatever they need to tell us, even as parents, you know, how do we create a safe space for our children to be able to share with us, you know, by being present emotionally, by being present mentally, you know, and not filtering things uh, through our own perceptions and and trying to come up with, answers right away and you know trying to come up with solutions right away but actively listening yeah yeah because I'm finding out that I can't fix it no you know (laughs) yeah I can't fix it but I can listen and hear you and I think a lot of times especially well some men you know if you try to share things with them then they try to fix it and it's like I don't need you to fix it I just need you to hear me Mm-hmm. you know um or and then women we we do we chatter boxes so we try to how can I fix it how can I do this and it's just like no I just need you to just need you to listen you know right. so being active in that like that that's really good for us to absolutely take take on so I would just ask uh, if there is any I guess any advice to those who uh, may be recovering from a betrayal, um, any advice that you have for them? First of all, I would say to definitely be prayerful. I mean, it's okay to talk to God about the pain that you have, you know, uh, to recognize it, to bring it to the front. Um, And then, you know, to, you know, if you need to seek professional help, do that. Even if it's something small, you know, sometimes people often think if I go to therapy, then I must have something really, really wrong with me. Not so therapy can, can, you know, sitting with a therapist to be able to process and unpack, you know, again, maybe some of the thoughts that you're having, you know, what, what is, what is stirred up for you um, as a result of this, you know, betrayal, Mm -hmm. I think is important. Everything that hits our life. I believe is an opportunity for growth. Every, every pain, every trial, every crisis is an opportunity for growth. I think that uh, even in the area of betrayal, you know, when we take the time to sit and say, okay, this has happened to me and it is painful and it hurts. Yeah. And then we talk about it. Now I'm not saying to just go talk to anybody about it. You know, sometimes, um, when, when individuals are betrayed, it's the worst thing in the world. And you feel like if I can just tell 
you know, anybody that will listen to me and side with me, um, that I'm going to feel better, but that's not always the case. That's not always the case. And so I think sitting with a a therapist, you know, maybe your, your pastor, um, a friend who's not just going to side with you, but a a friend who's actually going to listen to what you're feeling, because when you, when you're, you're feeling betrayal, um, or you've gone through betrayal and you're feeling betrayed automatically, you want to talk about the other person. That's what you want to do. They did this, they did this, they did this. Um, and they've already moved on. They've done their thing or, you know, um, they're, they're ready to move on, but you're left there with all the residue of the pain and the memories and this shock factor of what's happened, you know? So I think that, you know, sitting and being able to acknowledge that writing about it, you know, uh, what's coming up for me, what am I saying to myself about myself? All of those things I think are, are good tips. Um, you know, don't isolate, you know, don't allow resentment and anger and bitterness. All of those things are emotions that you're feeling, but, uh, many times they point to something deeper, you know, that's going on in there, deeper narratives that have been there. Not always, but sometimes. Yes. That's so, Oh, that's good. That's good advice. Y'all y'all better go look. Cause it, I mean, because if we don't, we, we, we're stuck. Yeah. We're stuck and, and we can never. And, and I know that sometimes like, even for me, we, we can't receive what God has for us. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I can't receive the, the gifts. I can't receive the goodness of God, even the goodness of God, but mm-hmm. God. And sometimes we, we want our promise but because we're stuck with all the pain and all the hurt right. that we had, we've had to go through is, is holding is hindering us from actually going into the promise land, right. you know? And so I, I think it's so important to really uh, take a look within yourself to really see why, why haven't I been able to move forward? Why ha- don't I feel free? I was talking about freedom today, you know, on my, devotion and just like why can I feel for the freedom um you know it's because we're still housing all that pain David Uh, said create in me a clean heart of God renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from your presence and take not thy holy spirit from me but restore unto me the joy of my salvation so I think you know in order to receive that joy or for that joy to be able to return to our lives we really do have to do some reflecting on what's going in going on inside of us and asking God to cleanse us because, you know, it's not necessarily that we're, you know, living this horrible life of sin. Um, but, but as a result of all the pain that we've experienced, you know, that we have not acknowledged that we have not processed that we've not been able to recognize and say, yes, this has impacted my life. It has changed me. And I have to address this so that I'm on the, the, the right trajectory so that I can be who I am supposed to be, who God wants me to be. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I thank you for joining me, Sister D. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so for much for joining me. me. Where can, because uh, you said, so you're in Houston, right? I'm in Kingwood. Yes. That's Kingwood. where I have, uh, yes, my office. Okay. So that's where the people can 
they can reach out to you at yep where, they can where? they can call our office at 281-913-5438 um and speak with my wonderful assistant tammy and she can answer any questions uh, on scheduling and all of that those great things yes Yes. So I, like I said, again, I, I enjoyed this, this conversation. I thank you for, for joining me. Um, any last words, any last uh, words, uh, other than stay healthy, stay healthy mentally, emotionally, and spiritually work on it. We're, we're all working on it until Jesus comes fighting the good fight of faith. Yes. So if you find yourself today discouraged. You find yourself maybe trying to recover from betrayal, um, be encouraged that the Lord is transforming us um, with everything that we go through. He is sovereign. He sits on the throne. He is aware. He does not leave us alone. All of it is opportunity. All of it is opportunity yes. to know him more. Yes. Yes. Amen and amen and amen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you again for joining me. Absolutely.